Startup Theory Podcast. Startup Theory. Innovation. Change. Theories, hypotheses, and opinions. Serial entrepreneur. Venture capital. Thought leaders. Sharing economy. Angel investment. Product market fit. Customer development. Collaborate. Community. I'm your host, Peter Sinkovich. Hey everyone, welcome to the Startup Theory Podcast, the entrepreneurial podcast that talks about conversations not currently taking place in the world of entrepreneurship. This is your host, Peter Sinkovich. I'm so happy to be back after recording the monologue a few weeks ago to do our very first full episode. Super excited to finally get this underway. It's been a lot of work in the making. Exciting week, actually a couple of weeks. Had a lot of cool things kind of take place. Went to a very, very cool startup tech awards gala put on by the British consulate. Ended up meeting and having a conversation with Adele, the very well-known singer, and even met Pete Cashmore from Mashable and had a short conversation with him as well. Super cool event. They even had live graffiti artists going and a performance by the Dynamic Rockers, which is a breakdance group from New York City. Looking forward to the next one. I want to thank the British Consulate for inviting me to that. And a big thank you to Danny Lopez, the British Consulate General. Um, Had a really great time. So this first episode, we're going to be talking about the architecture of entrepreneurship and what that means. As you know, the guests are surprise. So following our visit to the Alley Boost Startup Expo yesterday in New York City, my good friend, smartphone app Cheeked, founder Lori Cheek, and I sat down for a very personal conversation outdoors at the gorgeous Pier 64 Park. It was beautiful, warm, nearly perfect fall day. We did the conversation outdoors, so you can hear in the background some of the planes and stuff like that. But Lori was featured on the hugely popular ABC hit show Shark Tank last year in episode 18 of season 5. That aired, I believe, on February 28, 2014. Both come from the professional architectural field prior to becoming founders and entrepreneurs. Lori was a well-paid and successful corporate architect for many years at Christian Dior, and I had been named the best architectural high school student in the state of Connecticut following a remarkable run of design competitions before I attended Philadelphia University to study my architectural undergraduate. I later appeared on the FX channel show Breakfast Time with Tom Bergeron and was teaching pioneering virtual reality techniques at the university before working for a prominent architect developing virtual reality technology for the architect, builder, and real estate industries. I've always felt that architecture unknowingly prepared me in a very unique fashion for my future in entrepreneurship. So before we get to the conversation I had with Lori, I wanted to share some of the things that I learned from the world of architecture and how it helped me. I didn't know that I was gonna go into entrepreneurship. I really felt I was going to be an architect. And I was really just more focused and more interested in pushing technology for the field. But as I've gotten older and and gotten farther down the rabbit hole in entrepreneurship, I realized that 
The process of designing and building a structure is very methodical. Architects understand that the term form follows function yields great designs. You understand every aspect of what the structure is to achieve first in relation to its context, by the way. Then, if caveats need to be made, they are worked into the aesthetic side of the design, never sacrificing the function and purpose it is serving. Entrepreneurs need to think of their startups in exactly the same fashion, and it didn't really occur to me until I had gotten farther in my own career in entrepreneurship that there's a, there's a very close correlation there in the way that it should work. Methodical development processes that follow some mapped out logic where the purpose and function of the startup is held high first and foremost, taking into consideration during the decision-making process to ensure it meets that vision. So one of the phrases often used in the architectural industry, one of the very first architects I ever worked for in high school would repeat to me was, you're a jack of all trades and a master of none, which typically refers to someone who has a lot of superficial knowledge in a lot of areas and is not meant to be a flattering compliment. But his point to me was I needed to learn a little bit about every aspect of the design and construction process of a building in order to be great, enough to be dangerous, as they say, and understanding each process involved and all of its pain points. He went on to teach me that the best architects are the ones who understand not only the role of an architect, but the roles and processes of all those surrounding the design and construction of a building, beginning to end. There is landscape architecture, dealing with the land and the landscaping of the plot the building stood on, interior design, you know, the aesthetic and design of the interior spaces within the building, HVAC, the utility components and planning of a building and how that relates to the structure, the architectural engineer dealing with the technical structure and the physics of the structure, and the construction process, amongst other things. The construction process, something he had urged me to take time to learn by working for a contractor or builder, because how things fit together in the field was sometimes not ideal based on the way it was designed back in the office. And often there are discrepancies. So incidentally, there's a very well understood friction in architecture that takes place between the builder and the architect slash designer. On one hand, the architect criticizes the builder for wanting to take shortcuts and make changes to the design based on what they see in the field during the construction process. It is often said that these changes don't take into consideration the original design intention or aesthetic when they were made by the designer or the architect. On the other hand, the builder criticizes the architect for not understanding how difficult or unfeasible the design is to construct on site due to factors they're seeing in the field. This creates an undue stress, mis miscommunication, issues and inefficiency between the two and simply being solved with a little education by both parties, understanding each other's roles and, and what they're trying to do. The most common example of this analogy in entrepreneurship is between the non-technical founder and the technology development. The point is you don't have to learn everything about technology development if you're a non-technical founder or entrepreneur, but it is in your best interest to take a bit of time and do an overview of the process 
what's involved in understanding it from a high level so that you can interact better with the technical team and better understand some of the pain points and what they're going through, which will make your communication and development process easier, uh, more efficient, and less stressful. Architects who possess this cross-functional skill set are some of the best in the world, producing some of the most notable projects anywhere. For example, Santiago Calatrava, who's currently designed the World Trade Center's new transit hub here in New York City and numerous other amazing buildings around the world, is known for mixing his skills in architecture and structural engineering, typically two separate focuses. You know, most people that go into architecture um, go to be an architect and don't learn a, a ton about structural engineering because we have structural engineers that are focused just on the physics of the building and we hand those designs off uh, to the structural engineers for them to kind of validate for us. Um, and the structural engineers, again, have so much going on that they really focus on the physics of how the building stands and the loads it's going to withstand and things like that, that they don't concern themselves too much or too heavily on the aesthetic and the function side of the, the space. Um, so they, they, they tend to be two different roles. But Santiago Calatrava uh, went out of his way to understand both. And as a result, he's able to keep all of those all that knowledge in the back of his mind during the synthesis and the and the design of the structure, uh, which has allowed him to create some pretty amazing uh, and world-renowned buildings. Entrepreneurs that possess a basic understanding of the startup process, as well as all of the various components like marketing, branding, technical development, etc., will end up producing some of the best and most successful startups. A few examples of this would be Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Andreessen, and the great Elon Musk. Elon Musk has been noted multiple times in personal conversations with people to have a very deep understanding technically of, of what's going on. I, I recently heard a cited example of someone that was discussing rocket engineering with Elon uh, when they were talking about his startup SpaceX, and he had been really fascinated but also pretty well educated in terms of what it takes to build a rocket what are the current technologies what are all of the pain points and the problems and the issues and really kind of took the time to kind of understand that not from a superficial level but kind of dove into it a bit deeper which has aided him in building the team and the the startup itself so i feel like these concepts in architecture are very metaphoric and very applicable to the world of entrepreneurship. So let's get to the interview that I had with Lori. I took some excerpts from the conversation Lori and I had that day. I asked her about Cheat, and Lori goes on to talk about her experience starting Cheat originally, and a key element of entrepreneurship, picking that one idea, not two, three, or four, that you cannot let go of, which is a sign of your passion for it. Well, I had this light bulb idea to start this dating business when I was practicing architecture and design, and it was, you know, I've come up with many ideas in my time, but this was the one that I couldn't stop thinking about, so I just thought, I'm gonna quit my job and bring this thing to life, and that's exactly what I did. But, you know, I came up with this idea eight years ago. It took me a couple of years to build it. Your founding team is another key element to your startup. I think something I don't hear discussed enough 
is how critical it is to pick the right partners, especially in the beginning. When I advise startups and entrepreneurs, I constantly use the metaphor of marriage. It is a huge decision and you wouldn't marry a person unless you knew pretty much everything about them, right? Going into a business partnership has nearly all the same elements and considerations that marriage does. You're gonna live together, essentially. (laughs) Your finances are going to be intermingled. Their bad decisions will affect you too now. Their reputation is now a reflection of you. Their friends and family automatically become a part of your world, etc. I'm also speaking specifically to things like, does this person know how to respect me or others, meaning the team or your clients? Can they resolve conflict amiably with me? Meaning, do they have to win every single argument or do they understand the virtue of picking your fights, win some, lose some? And we agree to disagree and then know how to move on. Are they honest and truthful when it counts the most? The way they manage their personal lives are great indicators of how they manage other aspects of their life. Do they own up to their mistakes? Can they accept the responsibility for their mistakes and what do they do with that information? Lori goes on to talk about her original team, the business partners, noting the interest and passion of one of them. I think just like building a structure, um, it's important to have the right team members on board with you because if one person doesn't pull their weight or do something right, the building falls apart. And I think there was some elements of that in my starting out my business because I was out at a Mardi Gras party one night after a a year of having this idea, talking to everybody about it. And finally, these two guys were like, well, we help people start businesses. Why don't we sit down on Monday? We love your idea. We think it's genius. And let's, let's talk about bringing it to life. So we sat down and, you know, they were both business guys. I didn't need two business guys. I needed a CTO. If I was going to have a website or anything technical in my business, I need a business person, a technical person, and then me. Yeah, I just had the wrong guys on board from the beginning. And, you know, even uh, we were at a meeting once. I had this business with these cheeked cards, and you'd hand them to intriguing strangers, and they had a code on them, so you wouldn't give any personal information away. And I remember one of my partners, like a, a year into it, we were at a meeting at the Soho house, and as he was leaving... I saw that he'd ripped off a corner of a notepad and put his phone number on it and handed it to a girl as he was leaving the Soho house. And I was like, did you just give that girl your phone number? I mean, I texted him immediately. I'm like, do you know what our business does? (laughs) I was so done. Like, I felt like I couldn't look him in the eye anymore because he wasn't, he wasn't in. Anyway, team, number one, most important thing, I think, in starting a business. It's definitely not easy to do it alone. And uh, starting over, I've got the missing links from before. So it's, it's five years now I've been into this and I finally have learned all the lessons and I'm starting the marathon over. I think we could be bigger and better and stronger and all those things if there were more of us. I mean, it's, it's still just two of us. It's me and my new partner. He's based in New Jersey and he's got a couple of other startups. So he's not 100% here with me. So, yes, there is definitely room for growth and and someone else that could help me. I mean, I would love to have a a clone of me going around just like... (laughs) Wouldn't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's not enough time in the day. So, I don't know if there's ever going to be an app for that, but maybe we should try to figure that out. Or or (laughs) I joke that I own the URL clone.me. 
Lori continues on to tell us after the first one was asked to leave the startup, the support she experienced from her remaining partner when the Shark Tank opportunity came up. It reminded me of another quote. If you want to experience something great, you must risk something great, which holds true in entrepreneurship or relationships of any kind. Let's listen in to hear what she has to say. Anyway, you know, the other thing is when I had those guys on board, so the first one who cheeked a girl with a piece of notebook paper, he was gone. We got rid of him. And then it was me and this other business guy for a while. And when I got the application to go on the Shark Tank, I remember going into his office one day saying, you know, this application is like 50 pages long and it's due in four days. The whole thing has to be handwritten. Do you mind giving me a hand and helping me with some of this financial stuff? And there's all these legal papers. And he looked at me like I had 25 heads and he said, Lori, do you have any idea how many people apply for the Shark Tank? There's like 40,000 applicants every year. What are the chances you're going to get on that show? I'm that girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, he said no to so many things and I think you've got to have yes people around you. So the missing element that I had before has watched me over all these years and I think that he believes in me more than he believes in this business so that's that's very valuable in making the right decisions and having this team the second time around so we start to dive deeper on what it really means to be passionate ride out highs and lows and what it takes to persevere as a founder of a startup a whatever it takes attitude particularly when things don't go the way you had planned even with such a monster opportunity a seemingly silver bullet like appearing on shark tank She starts to talk about the positives and negatives of being on the show and how she dealt with that. Well, I mean, you know, money makes the world go around, unfortunately, but uh, (laughs) I have had a very unconventional way of keeping this business alive. And, you know, I say most people would have quit out of the gate. Nobody would have done what I've done to get this far. You know, even going on the Shark Tank, I think that's like it's a recipe for destruction or things happen in in the good light for your business right. and unfortunately mine went downhill and it's hard to crawl out of that hole even once you're on the show and they're tearing you to shreds it's hard to turn it around but there was still no way i was gonna let that beat me down and Lori now mentions that she has a new partner yeah just like a fallen structure you just rebuild and um, that's exactly what i did so getting the right team with me finally and we hired one of the hottest app developers in all of the universe i mean well and 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 expensive so we have this new app that cost a pretty penny but it all came from my new partner who believes in me i asked Lori how she used the experience of being shut down by all the sharks on shark tank and receiving negative feedback from others on the use of the original cheat concept she starts to tell me how she reinvented her concept taking it all into consideration and how cheek now compares to her competition the new cheeked instead of slipping someone a a cheeked card you know i think there were also some barriers with that like people would have these things in their wallet and then they would walk by this intriguing stranger in the park and it's just hard to be prepared to pull that out of your wallet and hand it to someone as they're walking by And I think some people ended up getting those cards and they'd put them in a drawer. I mean, they'd laugh about them for a while and carry them around, but then they just got put in the candy drawer and that was the end of it. 
So now, you know, everybody wants to be on technology. I've watched it. People wanted this app. And we figured out a way to kind of keep to the concept of passing people in the real world and making these real-life connections. So, you know, unlike all the other GPS that apps that are out right now, if I pass someone that's on the 100th floor of a building, I, it still says I missed that person, and I didn't miss them. And I'm on all those apps. I'm on all of them. And like Happen, for example, their GPS app, I've made like 7 million connections on there, and I have not physically seen one of those people in the real world ever. But my app is immediate. So... Now, you no longer slip people those cards. This Bluetooth technology does it for you in a plane or a train where people don't really talk, for the most part. When asked about her development process of the app, Lori touches on the process and shares how she applies customer development. Well, you know, I guess we, we built the product, and then we were in beta while the whole thing was getting ironed out, and beta lasted... <laughs> for a very long time so it was you know we just kept having these events all the time and it was neat inside these events to watch the app doing its magic and whatever magic it wasn't doing we got it fixed and it, it took a long time to resolve everything but now we've got a pretty solid product there's still a few bugs but nothing that's earth shattering or going to be a showstopper for the app but um, I think these events have just been like free focus groups for us and you know, people are getting drunk and having fun and hopefully making connections on the app. Because Lori has sunk most of her startup funds into making the best possible app with the best possible app developers, she goes on to talk about bootstrapping the marketing of the brand to this point and her role in developing traction for Cheat. Well, I'm partnering up with other startups. You know, I've got this database of New Yorkers that are probably so sick of hearing me talk about Cheeked, so I'm looking for other markets and you know although we raised money to build this app we don't really have much money to market it so that's where I come in to do all this kind of creative stuff but we're getting um, like bar apps and other dating businesses to come join us for these events so they tell their networks and that's not necessarily me bugging my people anymore Right. And it's a new crowd. You know, we did one with this app called Bar Happy a few weeks ago, and they brought all these 20-year-olds, which I I don't think I know a 20-year-old. But it was amazing. That's our market. And we just teamed up to have this party. And then, you know, my 40-year-old my friends knew about Bar Happy at that point, too. So I think it's, it's a nice trade-off, and we just help promote the heck out of the thing once we plan these events. So I'm doing that every, every two weeks, and we're just going to try to make the app better. I'm interested in raising a little bit of money for marketing and also to build the app on Android. And hopefully we'll turn all these other mobile dating apps on their head. I shift the focus towards the end of our conversation where I ask Gloria about her vision for Cheat and what problem does it specifically solve. I mention how hard it is to meet people as a single person in New York City, for example, even though there are over 8 million people in New York. Let's hear what she has to say. Well, I feel like now that everybody's so obsessed with their phones, they're not even paying attention to what's around them. And that's the beauty of what this app is doing for people, because if you're walking down the park and you get a pop-up that says you've just missed so-and-so, that means they're right there. It makes it alerts you to look up and pay attention to what might be right in front of you that you otherwise might miss if you just kept walking and playing your video games on your phone, which is what everybody's doing. So yeah, it's, I think it's hard to meet people here, harder than ever. And that's all because of these, these little phones we have attached to our hands. I hope everyone found something interesting to take away from this episode of the Startup Theory Podcast. That's all the time we have. 
Come back for our next episode where the topic is titled Entrepreneurs, the New Investment Class. I want to thank Lori Cheek for sitting down with me to talk about her experiences building Cheeked and her Shark Tank experience. For more information on her hyper-local dating app, Cheeked, you can visit cheekd.com. You can find me at Startup Grind events I run with my team in Greenwich, Connecticut. More information is available at startupgrind.com slash Greenwich. And in the coming weeks, you can find me at the Co-Invent Pulse Business and Technology Festival in New York City, November 9th. Startup Grind New Haven's next event with Honest Tea founder Barry Nailbuff, November 10th. And I'll be judging the Techstars Startup Weekend at Yale University on November 15th. The Startup Theory podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. If you'd like to follow us, please like us on Facebook. And if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or are interested in advertising and sponsorship, you can email us directly at startuptheorypodcast at iTunes.com. Thank you so much. And until next time, be well. Startup Theory, Serial Entrepreneur, Innovation, Change, Thought Leaders, Sharing Economy, Angel Investment, Product Market Fit, Customer Development, Community. And I'm your host, Peter Sinkovich.